I want to talk to you about just this morning a little bit of, of media and technology and the saturation in, in which we live. I mean, we live in a world where we have media and technology around us all the time. In fact, some of you will you'll read your Bible this morning on, on a phone. I mean, that's, that's the world we live in, and, and we wouldn't know what to do without it. In fact, Ford, um, I believe now that they've launched their new, the new technology in their new cars. Ford has... Uh, a 4.2-inch color screen that when you're driving the car, on the left side, digitally shows your fuel level. It shows um, your, your oil pressure. It shows your speedometer. It shows all the, the car stuff. On the right side of that screen shows you what song you're listening to. If somebody calls you uh, on the phone, it pops up with their name and, and who it is. Now they've also put in an 8-inch screen that just sits off to the right of that uh, in their car that is Wi-Fi ready. So you've got an 8-inch computer in your screen. It's got two USB ports so you can plug things in. And it's got a port where you can plug a keyboard in so you can type. Not while you drive. It doesn't work while the car is moving. But as soon as you stop, come, and maybe at a stoplight, if you're really busy, you can plug in your keyboard and start typing that business document with the Internet there. Now, some of you are shaking your head. I, I get that because we, you know, we're not allowed to text and drive, yet on our, on, on our cars we've put all of these screens and all of these digital displays with all of the media. And Ford has said, and I, I think they're, they're right when they say this, when they're talking about somebody who's selling something to the marketplace. They said the car is basically the next technological venue for people. We've got our phones, we have our homes, we have our offices. Now we want to be able to uh, pull in to pick up the kids from soccer practice, and we got there 15 minutes early. We have so many things to do, and we're so busy that we don't have to work on our phone now. We can plug the keyboard in. We've got our computer right there, and we can catch up and do work. We are media-saturated, technology-saturated. And it's not just cars. Well, I don't want to embarrass you. I think this would be cool. But we have people, I was going to ask who has them, but, but we have people who have, like, speakers in their shower. Right? Now, I mean, that's pretty cool. I don't have those. I wish I did because I love music. That would be a great place. But they have speakers in their shower because, I mean, I've I, I got to listen to either the music or to NPR or to whatever I'm listening to while, while I'm showering. Um, we've got all kinds of technology. We've got um, TVs in our garages, right? Some people, people in my neighborhood do. TVs in our backyards so that we, we can swim or, or do whatever's in the backyard and still not miss the game. Again, I'm not... No judgment. I'd love to. I mean, that'd be awesome. I mean, just making the point, we've got media and technology saturating us. When we were in Poland during spring break, now this is an Eastern European country, and it is uh, a little bit uh, behind America when it comes to technology. But when you walk through Old Town, you turn your phone on. You should have watched this happen with teenagers. You can get the city Wi-Fi. The city broadcasts Wi-Fi through the downtown area. And so when you're in Eastern Europe and kids don't have phones uh, that connect and they get Wi-Fi for a second, you can see them. As soon as they walk into Old Town with these majestic buildings and these cathedrals, and they're looking at them like this. <laughs> I got Wi-Fi, I got it. You know, but but we, just, we feel like we have this need for it. We have Apple Watches, right? So, so that when we get an email or a text, we don't have to pull out our phone and turn it on and look at it. We can just do that. It's so, it's so much better, right? I mean, and Google uh, explored Google Glass, you know, so that you didn't even have to look down at your wrist. 
you could just see it on the display in your glass glasses that you wore, you know, that didn't come out. But that was, that's the kind of media-saturated world we live in. We're not, we're not well unless we can get our email on our phone and see the internet while we're walking through the glasses that we're wearing. I mean, we are literally inundated with media, technology. With that comes things like social media. Um, had a conversation with some students not too long ago. We were playing Would You Rather. And, and Would You Rather, I don't know if you've ever done this in your home, but you know, Would You Rather, and they throw out two scenarios that, that you really don't want to do either of. You know, Would you rather have your fingernails ripped out you know, or your eye gouged out? You're like, I don't know. And you have to pick one. Well, one of the Would You Rathers that had this group of teenagers was talking about said, Would you rather give up social media forever? No Facebook, no Twitter, no uh, Instagram, no Snapchat. Would you give up social media forever, or would you rather eat the exact same meal, every meal, every day for the rest of your life? And when you're 40, that's a no-brainer. When you're 15, apparently it's not. Because they said, I mean, it wasn't even like, they didn't even consider, oh, oh, eat the same thing. And I was like, no, you wouldn't. And like, oh, yeah, we would. And I'm like, no, you would, you would not eat the same thing, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, from your, how old you are now until you die. You wouldn't do that. And they go, I would not give up social media. And so I said this. I said, you wouldn't even eat the same thing for a week. Oh, yeah, we would. And I'm a, I got a little bit of wagering in me. Um, I probably should stay away from Vegas. I, I th- you know, I, so I said, I, I will bet you $20 that you cannot eat the same meal every day, every meal for one week, let alone for the rest of your life. And they're like, oh, 20 bucks? And I said, listen, if you win, I'll give you 50. If you lose, you just give me 20. And I mean, they were like, $50 to eat the, eat the same thing. I said, yes. You get to, and they said, what do we do? I said, you get to pick. And they said, can we pick like, pizza and like have different kinds of pizza you can pick pizza but if it's pepperoni it's got to be pepperoni pizza you know you can't like say i'm gonna have sandwiches and eat it's the same thing for a week and i mean these kids jumped all over that they were like oh yes i'm in and so there were two of them one of them said they're gonna do uh chicken salad and we clarified like i said like chicken salad like chopped up on bread no grilled chicken salad the other one said lemon pepper or lemon turkey sandwich it's okay sounds good so we make this deal and it just so happened after they made the deal i said okay so when we start we start on tuesday tuesday to a monday for a week they said yeah great well just so happened i said hey enjoy your lemon turkey sandwich during easter brunch with your family and they were like because it was over easter weekend was when their week is so needless to say if I wasn't a person of grace and mercy, I'd be $40 richer today from those two $20 from those kids. But because I have grace and mercy, I counted it as a life lesson for them and let them keep their money. But neither of them made it. They didn't even make it a day. One of them's parents went, that's the dumbest thing you've ever done. No, you know, that's, that was stupid. Why would you do that? Uh, but but they're, they're so inundated with it, this media and technology, that they literally believed I could spend the rest of my life eating grilled chicken salad for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Not eat, I mean, in, the, in their mind thinking like, okay, so when you get married one day and you sit down for the dinner, wedding, everybody's going to have grilled chicken salad, you know, all of the wedding party. You know, that's, 
That's what you're going to That's going to be your Christmas dinner from now on. You know, happy birthday. You want to go out to dinner? Where do you want to go? Well, someplace they get grilled chicken salad. That's, you know. <laughs> but in their mind, they go, yeah, absolutely. That's what I want to do. It is crazy. But we are just covered up with media and technology. Now, that poses a problem. There's a lot of great things that media can give us. There's a lot of great things that technology gives us. I mean, even, even from the spiritual world, we have a Tuesday night Bible study our girls are going through that uh, we get the entire video media streamed uh, into the home and they can turn on the video. You don't have to keep up with the DVD or anything. I mean, there's some great things that media and technology does. But the downside to it really ties into the series we just came out of, that Second Timothy series, Truth Matters. We went through uh, the, the letter that Paul wrote to Timothy for five weeks. And, and one of the things we learned through that series is that Paul was talking to Timothy, a young leader, and the problem that the church was facing, the primary problem, there were a lot of things they were dealing with, was a, a culture that was leaning into the church and saying, hey, the truth of Scripture is not really true. We will tell you the truth, and it was culturally defined. It was a world that said, well, this feels right, and since it feels right, or this makes me happy, and since it makes me happy or comfortable, it must be true. And so Paul was telling Timothy, listen, you've got to hold to truth as defined by the character and nature of God revealed to us through Jesus Christ that we have in our scripture, which, which Timothy had in the Old Testament. And so when culture runs into truth, we have problems, and that's where this media and technology comes in when we have it in our cars and we have it in our shower and we have it on our watches and we have it in our sunglasses or our glasses and we have it everywhere we go and we're willing to say i will eat the same thing for the rest of my life so that i don't lose it we get messages that are cultural into our our brains and what we believe to be true begins to shift because not not because we want to reject the bible but because we've heard another message over and over and over and over again, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And when we open up the Word of God one time a week on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night and we're confronted with actual truth, it's very hard for actual truth to penetrate the wall of untruth that's been built up by this cultural message that has become our reality. Does that make sense? And so, so again, this isn't anti-media, not anti-technology. Those are great things. But just like everything that is good in the world, Every good thing that God has given us, Satan has set out to pervert. He set out to turn it upside down. And he tries to do it with media and technology. And so we come this morning thinking about how we're saturated with media and technology. And what I want us to understand is we walk through this series radical. And each week's going to be different. But this week, I I want to challenge you to begin to believe, to to say that this is true, that, that you and I, need our lives and our minds saturated with the Word of God. That we need the Word of God to so penetrate the way we think and the way we believe that it changes who we are. Now, the Scripture says a lot about, it's about Scripture. Old Testament and New Testament. And the Psalms, I mean, just about every section of Scripture, there, there is great teaching about the importance of the Word of God. Now, if you have your Bible with you, you should be in, in Joshua chapter 1 by now. I want us to, to look at this passage of Scripture. What, what's happening here, we're going to look at the Old Testament, we're going to jump to the New Testament. Moses is one of the quintessential Jewish leaders. I mean, Abraham, Moses, David, Elijah, some of these guys are the ones that the Jewish people 
look to as the stalwarts of their faith. Moses has led God's people through the book of Exodus out of Egyptian slavery, out of bondage, and he's brought them to the promised land. Moses isn't allowed to go into the promised land because of some issues and some things that he did in, in disobedience to God. And so he gets them to the brink, and as the people go over, they're led by a guy named Joshua. And Joshua chapter 1 begins this transition of leadership from the era of Moses to the era of Joshua. And in Joshua chapter 1, God speaks to Joshua, and, and he, and he kind of gives him some instructions. I want you to look at verse 8, though. It's, it's in the midst of some instruction that God gives. He says to, to Joshua, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you'll have good success. I love verses like this. Um, on some levels, they're hard to teach because they don't need a lot of teaching. I mean, there's some passages in the Scripture, you open it up and you go, man, you start reading. Like, you know, if you, you open up to the book of Revelation, halfway through Daniel, you start reading, you're like, I don't, I don't have a clue what, what I'm reading. You might even open some of that deep theology in Romans and the way that Paul writes and run-on sentences. You got, I got lost in the midst of trying to figure out what he's saying here. We read a passage like this out of Joshua 1a, and it's simple. I mean, I really don't have to, to, to break it down for you. I just have to step out of the way and let you consider it, let you take it slowly and, and see what it really says here. He says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. The Word of God that we're talking about having saturate our mind should not leave your tongue. Could you imagine, imagine with me for a second, what it would be like at home if every time you spoke to your spouse or to your kids, the Word of God influenced what you said? That'd be pretty fantastic, right? I mean, when your kids come and... and, and they're complaining about something instead of yelling like there's so much scripture in you. You just like keep like counterpointing them with the word of God. And they're like, I can't argue that, you know. Or if you talk to your spouse, if the things that you said came from a mind and a tongue that had been so soaked in the word of God that it was like Jesus speaking in your home, that would quite literally change everything. What if you're at work or in your neighborhood or your friends? That the things that you think when a decision needs to be made, when an opportunity presents itself, the Word of God has not left your tongue. And so you make decisions without even thinking about it in the way that Jesus would. That, that would radically change our lives. And, and God tells Joshua, don't let this word depart from your mouth. And, and then he gives Joshua kind of the first step into that. He says, meditate on it day and night. Now, the idea is not literally, okay, I've got to set my alarm for 7 in the morning and 9 at night. I've got to have some meditation. He, he's talking about letting your, your life be saturated with the Word of God. But you take something like meditating on the Word of God day and night. I mean, it would not be a bad idea to even take that literally. And maybe Joshua did understand it to be literally. I, I don't know. That... In the morning, we get up and we start our day in the Word, reading it and letting, letting our mind think about it and praying through it. God, what does this mean to me? And at night, before we go to bed, we open up the Word of God again and we, and we begin to read through it and reflect on our day, process our day through 
what we're reading? I mean, do you, do you think that there would be some benefit in that? I think so. And it's not like rocket science we're trying to figure out, but most of us don't do it because from the moment we snooze the alarm the second time and then turn it off to the moment we lay our heads down the pillow, we're thinking about a thousand other things because our minds aren't saturated with the Word of God. J.J. Watts, a defensive end for the Houston Texans. He is the, the best NFL football player on the planet today. And I don't say that as a judgment because in my opinion that honor would have to go to a Dallas Cowboy because that's the only way I could possibly believe that to be true. But according to the NFL players in their own poll, NFL players, the guys that get on the field on Sundays, have said this man is the best football player around. Now, his commitment to his craft is already becoming legendary even though he's in his mid-20s right now. He does not have a girlfriend um, and has said, I don't have time to commit to a relationship because I have a job that is football and it would not be fair for me to enter into a relationship with, with, with a girl when I cannot be there for her, give her the time that she needs, love her like she needs to be loved. 2014, he signed a $100 million contract to play football. It was the largest contract given to an NFL football player that wasn't a quarterback. And the owner of the Texans, when they asked him about, hey, are you worried about, worried about you know, that kind of money giving away? He said, I'm not, because J.J. Watt doesn't play for money. The, the owner has seen in him this commitment, this intensity to, to being a football player. He doesn't care about the money. He so doesn't care about the money that the morning after he signed the $100 million contract at 4 a.m., he was at the Texans facility working out. I'm going to be honest. Once I signed the $100 million contract, I'm like, day off. Right? I mean, because I just got paid. I'm going to celebrate. At 4 o'clock a.m., no one else is there except for some staffers. They're taking pictures and sending it to the owner, going, here's your $100 million investment working out. He went to the University of Wisconsin. He was the University of Wisconsin, uh, became an elite football player after walking on. After graduating from Wisconsin, he was working out, and some of his fellow, former fellow uh, Badger football players, team were there with them. They're all working out. And they start talking about this bar in Wisconsin by uh, the university that everybody goes to, a famous bar everybody knows. And, and they're talking about it and they're reminiscing and they ask him, hey, you know, do you ever miss it? And J.J. Watt looked at the, his former teammates and he said, I've, I've never been. The bar that all the football players go to, that all the students go to. And they go, what do you mean they were in Christ? What do you mean you've never been? And this is what he told me. He said, I was too busy turning myself into a first-round draft pick. That's a, a commitment to the craft. He's done commercials. He's uh, talked with Hollywood about in the future of doing movies and things like that. Flies out to L.A. to do some of that, uh, that media work and do some of those commercial works. And at 3.45 a.m., he's at the University of Southern Cal in their weight room getting his workout in before he goes off to the day of talking to producers and directors and doing commercials. Why don't you just take a day off? Because I'm committed to my craft. The guy goes to bed every night at 7.30. Still light outside. 20-something years old in his prime. Now, this is not, this is not meant to be bashing. This is, this is a sad picture. But you take that picture and you put it to somebody about that same age, like a Johnny Manziel, right? Who's up at 3.45 in the morning as well, just not in the gym. <laughs> 
But you see the evidences. You see, you, see, you see where their careers have gone because of a commitment to a craft that said, I want to, I, I want to be the best. And here's what he said. And, and he's very real about it. He says that football will end one day. And when football ends, I'll have plenty of time to enjoy money. I'll have plenty of time to be in a relationship. I'll have plenty of time to do movies or, or whatever I want to do. I'll be able to sit back and relax if I want to. But for now, this is what I'm doing. Now, for us, let's take that analogy forward. We have an eternity where we're going to walk in the presence of God. We're going to experience His, His reward for us as well as His personhood. But yet our craft right now is preparing for that on earth. And we're talking about meditating on the Word of God in the morning and in the evening. We're not even talking about 3.45 in the morning and going to bed at 7.30. In the, we're just talking about carving out some time so that we can say, God, as I prepare for what eternally is coming, God, as I prepare for my time here with a media that is inundating my life, God, I want to be saturated with your word. And so, God, if that means morning and evening, I spend some time, I carve some time out, God, I'm going to do that because that is important to me. He says, don't let this word leave your tongue. Meditated on day and night, and then he says this, and this is what I love, what resonates with me, so that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it. Some of you don't need another Bible study. You need another Bible study. Some, some, of, you like, and some of you have Bible studied up. We've got all kinds of Bible studies running around here, and they're fantastic. But, but what, what, what really makes your mind and your life saturated in the Word of God is when you start doing what you've learned. I've shared this story with, with many people, maybe even from the stage. I, a mom years ago, you wouldn't even know who it is, had a sixth grader. And I got a phone call in my office, and the mom said, Hey, I, I want to talk to you about our, our, your Sunday morning stuff. Um, my sixth grader, we're, we need something deeper than what's happening on Sunday morning. And I said, oh, I, Well, I said that philosophically, Sunday morning is not, you know, we don't get into like deep, deep stuff because that's our first open door. That's when. For a Bible study, most kids come in, and, and sometimes a kid might show up. We don't want to be in week seven of a 14-week, you know, verse by verse through the book of James, and, and they're, they're lost. So it is going to be more surface level. And I said, but at the time, we had discipleship training. Uh, we called First Baptist University. We had that on Sunday nights. And I said, but on Sundays at 5, we've got a lot, it's much deeper. I mean, there's even, like, homework and things to take home. And she said, oh, well, we're, we're busy on the Sunday afternoon, so we're not able to do that. And I said, well, on Wednesday... At what was it was called something different, but it collided. It was called shockwave at the time. I said it, it can get probably a little bit deeper, I, I think, than uh, Sunday morning. So, and she said, "Well, we're busy on Wednesday nights too." So while I'm talking to her, I'm looking at what the curriculum is that the sixth graders going through because they were going through different things at the time. And I looked through and I said, uh, "I said, well, I, I'm looking, and they're in the middle of a series right now. While you've called, they're in a series about evangelism." And I said, "Has your son, in the last month or so?" led any of his friends to Jesus or, or shared the gospel with any of his friends? I mean, maybe his friends didn't accept. Did he, did he, has he shared the gospel with them? Or has he even, like, just invited a friend with him to come on a Sunday morning? Because that's kind of some pre-evangelism. She goes, and she said, I, I guess she didn't see it getting teed up. She said, well, no. I said, well, then he's not ready for anything deeper. Right? I mean, what, he doesn't need more Bible study. He's not doing the Bible study that he's, that he's in right now. He's not applying it to his life. And Joshua tells us that, or God tells that to Joshua. He says, be careful to do according to all that's written. In it. Now, here's the blessing. For the, if you do that, 
It will, you'll make your way prosperous, and you'll have good success. Who doesn't want that? But that makes sense. God put the world into motion. He created you. He knows how you work. He knows how the world works, and he's given it to us. Here's how you work, and here's how you live in this life. If you will follow these principles, if you will walk with me, Jesus said, if you will abide with me, the creator and the creation, everything begins to start to make sense. It doesn't mean everything's going to be easy. It doesn't mean that you're always going to be happy. It doesn't mean birds are going to sing at your windowsill every morning and there's a rainbow greeting you when you walk to the car. But life begins to, to, to function in the track for which it was created because the creation has met the creator and things are moving in the direction they're supposed to be going. And when that happens, we start to see success. We start to see a prosperous life. And I'm not talking about financially. Maybe. I don't know how God blesses you. But it will be spiritually. I mean, the Word of God is important. God tells Joshua, before you lead these people, do not, do not neglect this Word. It's got to saturate your life. But it's not just that. Go over to 2 Timothy, where we just were. We just spent five weeks in 2 Timothy, and we go back now for a sixth week. To look at a passage of scripture that we didn't read as we were going through, but one, if you've been in church before, uh, grew up there, you'll, you'll probably recognize. It's one of those underlinable ones for sure. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says this, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. Scripture that's supposed to saturate our, saturate our life is inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's God-breathed. 2010, at a Las Vegas garage sale, somebody came across a drawing. This, I got a picture of it. They paid $5 for it. I don't know why that was marked for $5 in a garage sale. I'm going to chalk that up to being Las Vegas. I don't know. But somebody, and maybe this is why it was $5, in the bottom right-hand corner, you can see the name Andy Warhol, written by Andy Warhol when he was 10 years old. And this art of, it's it's a musician from some time in the past, sold for $5. And it ended up being worth $2 million. There's a garage sale this weekend at the church if you want to come shop. <laughs> All the proceeds will go to Jill's house, Ministry for Special Needs. That's just a shameless plug. $5 to $2 million. Why? Why is that? That's not even a good drawing. Why is that worth $2 million? Because Andy Warhol touched it. Because Andy Warhol was the hand that held the colors And somebody said that is valuable because of who he is. This word of God that you have has the breath of God all over it. Not Andy Warhol's hand. The breath of the creator rests on this word. We'll pay $2 million for a terrible drawing by Andy Warhol. When we have a word that has been breathed out by the very creator of the universe, we let it sit on our shelves and collect dust. And we don't use it. And, and Paul tells Timothy it is breathed out by God and it is profitable. It brings you, it, it puts black instead of red into your ledger. Again, not financially, just in life. He said it is, it is good for 
teaching or for doctrine. It reveals the character and nature of God. This is how we find out who God is by reading his word. It teaches us about who it is. He says it's good for reproof or for proving, which means when we look and we go, I just don't know because the world is giving me all these other messages that says this is right, but the Scripture says that what the world is saying is wrong. How do I know which is which? The Scripture has prophecy in it. It is 700 to 1,500 years old. They said this is who the Messiah, this is what Jesus, the Savior of the world, will look like, and this is what he'll do. And it was written, and we know that it was written 700 years before Jesus ever showed up, and then he fulfills those prophecies. Even things that he couldn't control, like where he'd be born. It's good for proving that God is who he says that he is. For teaching, he says it's good for rebuke or for correction. When we hold our lives up to this word, we go, man, I've been drifting. This is not the way that the creator has, has me to live. I need to shift the way that I've been walking. I need to change the things that I've been doing. And he says, and it's good for training and righteousness. Not just for correction, but so that we can make decisions and learn how to live in such a way that we don't need to be corrected. But the God-breathed out word that needs to saturate our minds so that when what we say and what we do and the way we live looks like Jesus rather than the world so that we can become complete, verse 17, and equipped for every good work. So for five weeks in Radical... We're going to challenge you and your teenagers to make five radical decisions over the course of 15 months. From now, through all of next year, concluding at the end of next summer. Now, we're not going to be in the series in the fall or or next spring. And so it puts some onus on us to try to keep these commitments in front of you. And we're going to do that by emailing you. We're going to do that by texting you. We're going to do that by having testimonies of people who are in this journey of making a radical decision to to live as a follower of Jesus should. We're going to put some bulletin boards up in the hallways. And if you make a commitment to one or two or three or four or five of these decisions, you're going to to give us your name and we're going to put your name on the back of of a business card and we're going to tack them up on those bulletin boards of all the people of this body that said, hey, I'm committed to following Jesus in a radical way. And then when you complete that 15-month journey, and it won't, won't take everybody 15 months, we're going to turn it over. You can sign it or whatever, and we're going to put your name on it. We're putting in some incentives for students and for you guys, for people that complete things. But we want to say this. We, we want to start living a life that is radically following Jesus. It doesn't look like our culture. And, and, and that first commitment The application is this. Would you commit to spending time in the Word of God in such a way that it begins to saturate your life? Commitment number one. There's really only one commitment for each week. We've kind of broken this down in two pieces, but the first thing is this. Over the next 15 months, would you read the Bible? When I say read the Bible, I mean Genesis to Maps all the way through. Would you you read every word that is God-breathed? Now, there's a lot of Bible reading plans, and a lot of them are like year-long plans. We're going to print some out. I don't have them this morning. I'll have them Wednesday. I'll have them next week. We're going to put them online. They'll be online tomorrow, a bunch of different plans. You can go to Version if you use the Bible app. They've got tons of, of one-year plans. We, we want to take that one-year plan and turn it to 15 months because we don't want it to be legalistic. There are going to be some days where, where you forget, where you miss. So for 15 months before the end of next summer, would you read the Word of God in its entirety? That is, a, that is a big 
commitment. And if you'll say you're going to do that, we're going to put your name up and we're going to put it on the board. And maybe your teenager's name is going to go up there. And I'll tell you what, you may get through and you go, man, I can't do this. Now I'm going to be shamed forever because my name's up on the board. It's going to be tacked up there. If you're a wimp, you can go take it down. I mean, I, you know, come up one night when nobody's around, take your name off the board, nobody will know it. But if you'll leave it up there, it's going to be the reminder that says, have made this commitment. And when you finish maps or index or whatever you've got in the back, we're going to turn it over and it's going to have that radical logo. And we want to see that board filled with people who have said, you know what, I want my life to be saturated with the word of God. Now, now, let me say this. I talk about, we've got some teenagers helping on this ministry team. Jamie and Kylie Downs and Emma Hellman and Roxy Odeorn. These four girls have been fantastic. And we, we kind of process this through. To read the Bible through in 15 months means you're going to be reading large portions of Scripture every day. I mean, to read it in a year, just 12 months, it would take you, if you did morning and evening, it would take you about 15 minutes in the morning and 15 minutes in the evening every day. It's a lot. So 15 months, you know, you can go at whatever pace. But we also knew there'd be some teenagers and maybe some parents, or this is the way I'm wired. I'd have that checklist, and I'd be like reading just as fast as I could. You know, I, I, gotta get, I got 12 chapters I've got to get through today, you know, or I missed three days. I've got to read all of Exodus, you know. And, and, and I would run the risk of reading it and not, not letting it saturate me. So, but, but some of you guys go, I, I need to read the Bible all the way through. I've never done that. Maybe you take that option. The second option is the same thing. You pick one or the other. We have ordered... 11 months of devotionals. I have the first months here, and I'll have them today. I'll put them out after your small group, I'll put them back on this back resource table. The reason why we ordered the devotionals that we read is there is a devotional piece to it, but it actually, like this one, takes you through, starts you through the book of 1 Samuel and then 2 Samuel, where you're actually reading the not 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 a, not a one verse and then somebody's one-page devotional. Because we don't we don't we don't want to spend our time reading what people think the Bible says. We want to read what the Bible says. So you'll have 11 verses through Samuel, devotional thought of here's what it means, and then some questions, about four questions every day to journal through that, th- those 11 verses of 1 Samuel. So you pick one of those. And so here's how this works. This is, you're, you're going to have Mays. It's not May yet. The, the idea is not to wait until May 1st. The, the idea isn't, oh, I forgot May 4th and I forgot May 5th and it's May 6th. What do I do? Now I need to read three of these. No, 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 no. That's why we're getting 11 months, not 11 months of those devotionals through 15 months. You just read them like as you use in this book. When you finish 1st and 2nd Samuel, the, the month of May, you might finish the month of May, June 9th. That's fine. Then come get June. And on June 10th, start on June 1st. It makes sense. We're not, we don't care about the dates. When you finish 11 of them, we believe we can say you've made some disciplines to saturate your mind with the Word of God. So that's the big commitment. The add-on to that is this. So the third thing I put up here is that we apply what we're reading. If you're going to read large portions of Scripture, you're going to read, you, know, you sit down, you've got to read Exodus all at once. When you finish Exodus, ask God, what, what does this mean to me today? How do I live this out? That's what the Old Testament and the New Testament, Joshua, 2 Timothy, both teach us. How do we live this out? We live in a world. We live in a world that defines a radical follower of Jesus. As someone looks like this. They go to church twice a month. They own a Bible or two. They read it occasionally. The, the real radical follower of Jesus are the ones that when they sit down at Chili's with their family, praise, even if the waitress is coming. Right? We're going to let the waitress see we love Jesus. <clears throat> and we try to be good. Right? Somebody goes to church a couple times a week, Praise before a meal, 
live a moral lifestyle, we look at them and go, man, they are sold out for Jesus. It doesn't look anything like what the Scripture teaches. Abiding in Jesus, following Him. Jesus said, take up your cross and come follow me. The birds of the air have their nests and foxes have holes, but the Son of Man doesn't have a place to stay. This journey is difficult. You want to walk the journey to prepare for eternity? You want to follow Jesus? It's not rainbows and butterflies. It is difficult. Jesus said this, if you follow me, the world will hate you. Not think you're silly. Not refuse to invite you to lunch. They will hate you if you're following me. That's what a disciple's life looks like. At Easter, when Christians celebrate the resurrection, it's like the go-to day on the calendar for everybody that claims Christianity. The disciples, they were huddled up in an upper room scared for their life because the world hated them. A radical commitment, honestly, to say, read the Bible through, or to say, spend 11 months out of the next 15 months reading your Bible every day. I'm going to be honest with you, that's probably not a radical commitment. I mean, well, I guess Jesus probably, I doubt he's judgmental, but I could, you know, my mind is thinking, going, oh yeah, way to go, guys. 11 months, huh? Woo! We were really sold out for me. In reality, he's probably like, yes, come closer. Come, saturate your mind with my God-inspired, God-breathed word. When I walked up this morning, put a glass of clear water. And right when I started talking, I dropped that teacup in. So you'd have a picture of what saturation looks like. It doesn't taste like water anymore. It doesn't look like water. It doesn't smell like water. It's different. Because the water has been saturated by the tea leaves. And that's that visual picture of what our life is to look like, saturated by the Word of God. It doesn't look the same. It doesn't smell the same. It is not the same. It is radically different. I'm going to let you talk in your small groups. How much time do we have? What time is it? It's 1020. You've got, you got some time, to, to a few minutes, to, to talk in your small group using the app. Remember, it's going to look like Second Timothy still. Here's how you decide. I'm going to, on the way out, I'm going to put a sheet of paper in the back. I'm going to have cards for teenagers on Wednesdays. I'll have cards for you next week. I'll put a, a sheet in the back. If you would go, hey, I am. You don't have to do it. If you're married, you don't have to do it as, as a family. If one of you wants to and the other one doesn't, this is an individual decision. You'll write that name down. I'm committing to reading my Bible through the next 15 months. I'm committing to 11 uh, months of devotional. I'll put the devotional guides out. You'll put your name on that card as well. And here's what I want you to do. Write your name on that sheet of paper. I said card. Write your name on the sheet of paper. If you need a devotional, pick it up. I'm also going to put a tea bag over there. That's your take home. To slide in your Bible, to slide in your purse, to put in your pocket, which is going to be very like, weird when you put your hand. It's going to be the reminder. I've made a decision. When you get home, you put it somewhere. It's hard to lose a tea bag. You're going to put it somewhere as my reminder to be saturated by the Word of God. If you need to process it, if you're going, man, it's high pressure, high pressure right now, I've got to make this decision, you don't have to make the decision today. 
you can go to fbcgt.org slash, uh, David, what is it? Radical Bible. One word, Radical Bible. And you can put it, you can commit there. We'll put that up. If you forget, you can text me. Uh, you can email you. I'm in. You let us know. We'll put your name up. Sheet of paper. Put it in on the web. If you're sitting in church inside, you can pull up your phone and do it that way and commit. But if you'll commit, do that and start talking to your teenagers if they're going to be here on Wednesday because I'm going to talk to them about the same thing. Let them see if you make that decision, you might encourage them to let's do this as a family. If you don't have teenagers, you got elementary, you got college-age kids, call your college-age kid. Do this with me. Have your elementary-age kid figure out how can we do this together. I'm going to pray for us and then let you talk for a few minutes.